The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the numbers of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God. Amen. Father in heaven, you are the great God of the universe. You rule and there is no one who can stay your hand. As we have just read in Psalm 147, you count the stars. You call them by name. They belong to you and they are for your glory. And it is for your glory and praise that we have gathered together today as your people, the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might join our voices and our hearts together to lift up praise to you. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your Spirit, your Holy Spirit upon us, your people, that you would inhabit our praises and our minds, that you would give us understanding of the beauty of the gospel, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures and in the songs that we sing today. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to be with us, that everything that we do in this hour would be for your glory alone. And we join our voices together now to pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you would like to turn there. This is a statement of your faith. So I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, 
the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance, you who call upon the Lord by faith, and who cling to the Lord Jesus Christ as your only righteousness. From the book of Romans, chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What, excuse me, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Praise the Lord. Let's continue to worship the Lord now. Turn in your hymnal to number 342 as we sing together, Christ is made the sure foundation. Uh, just for a few minutes 
about growing things in your garden. I wanted to ask if any of you, maybe some of you do, even if it is summer, have chores, daily chores that you do. Anybody? Any of them have anything to do with animals? Yes? Well, I wanted to talk to you about chores, and I also wanted to ask you about how you, um, how you anticipate your chores every day. Do you come out of your room smiling, maybe with the sounds of music coming out of your door, as you prepare your heart to go and exult in doing your chores? Any of you? It's like celebration music or entrance music. Here we go. Maybe some of you, maybe not. Maybe some droopy faces. Maybe some long faces and kind of slide your feet along. Maybe a few of you. I think some parents might testify to that this morning. Well, I want to talk to you about a, a, a guy who did some chores and was sent on a chore and he became anointed king in Israel. Do you remember King Saul? Well, King Saul had a dad who owned donkeys. One day his dad found out the donkeys had gotten out. Have you ever had to go get an animal and bring it back home? None of you? Fence has never? Oh, yes. Thank you, Olivia. A few of you. So, guess what? Saul got called to, to uh, his dad, and his dad gives him those words that every child loves to hear. Get one of the servants and go please find the donkeys and bring them back home. We need them. And so Saul went and he journeyed. And he journeyed several days away. And he and the servant began to think, it's probably best that we go home because dad's going to forget about the donkeys and wonder where we are. So they think they're going to turn home. And the servant says, well, wait a minute. I know there's a man who lives in the village nearby and he's a man of God and surely he might be able to help us. And what ended up happening, Samuel, who was the... The, the man of God in that particular city that the servant talked about was the man who would eventually anoint Saul king over all of Israel. Do you remember which number Saul was of the kings of Israel? Which one was he? First. He was the first. That's exactly right. He was the first. So on his way, doing a chore that his dad sent him to do, he met the man who would anoint him king over God's nation, Israel. So I want to encourage you today, as you think about maybe you don't have donkeys to go find, maybe you have to go help bring in a cow who got away, or maybe you have to corral chickens or pigs, or maybe you just have to help put up fences or do things that to you seem like this is the worst. How can I be spending my summer doing this? And you have no idea how the Lord may be using that in your life to make you like Jesus, to teach you to, to enjoy the beauty of everyday routines. And I want to encourage you. Tomorrow morning when you get up, or maybe tomorrow afternoon when you have to go outside and do your chore, pray about it. Lord, help me to see you in this, that it's good for me to do it. It's good to learn discipline, but it's also good that I remember that everything that I do is part of your plan in my life. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this story about Saul and the ordinariness of having to go out and find his dad's donkeys and bring them home. Lord, I pray that you would help our covenant children as they think about the chores they have at home, things that they have to do each week or maybe each day, and what a, a glorious privilege it is to live in your world, to be able to take care of the animals that you've created, and to be able to take care of things in our own homes and see how we take part, even as, as little ones, in the lives of our families. Lord, I pray that you would help our little ones as they think about chores, 
as they think about their responsibilities and their families, that it's not just something that mom and dad ask them to do only, but you have ordained it as good in their lives to do these things. And I pray, Lord, that they would look to you, even in the midst of taking feed or cleaning out a stall or just going and putting a, a lead rope on an animal to bring it back home, that you would remind them that this is from your hand, that every part of their lives is from you. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you do have your hand upon us. I pray, Lord, that you would protect our covenant children, keep your mighty power around them, bless them the rest of this summer. And Lord, we do pray for them as we go into this week of VBS, that it would be a wonderful time of celebration of the good news of the gospel. And also, Lord, that you would draw them close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page 837. We're going to read together Psalm 143, page 837. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. This is Psalm 143 on page 837. O Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. Amen. Let's stand together and turn in your hymnal to number 587 as we sing together, Who is on the Lord's Side? Thank you. 
This month for our pastoral prayer time, we're praying for our missionaries, Roger and Laura Dye. We're also praying for uh, one of our ruling elders, uh, Mr. D.B. Timms, as he goes into the local jail each Sunday morning to share the gospel with those who are there. We want to pray particularly for uh, the Lord's work in, in that jail, that the Lord would give D.B. wisdom and the right words to say, especially in the right moments and in the particular situations that each man finds himself in. I also wanted to pray for uh, BBS this week. What an opportunity to share the gospel with our little ones, with our young people. And we uh, never know how the Lord may use even a, a Vacation Bible School week to plant the seeds of the gospel, to bring to light and to open their eyes to His work through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's also pray for our volunteers as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be in your presence and in your house today with your people, to worship you, to sing praises, to come to you with the the thoughts and the petitions of our hearts, things that are heavy upon our minds, our families, our finances, our own particular needs, our sin struggles, our own spiritual condition before you, with thoughts of eternity on our minds knowing that none of us is promised another breath and that not even today is promised to be full to us. Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Help us, Lord, in this hour to be able to focus, to think, to have the energy to look at your word, to read the Bible and understand it. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on us as we read the scriptures that you would open our minds and our hearts. We confess that apart from you doing that, we will read the scriptures and not understand them. We pray that you would help us. We are needy. And Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to pray for the ministries of Roger and Laura Dye and also Devi in the jail. Lord, I pray that you would be with Roger and Laura this week as they are working. I pray, Lord, that they would not have any sort of technical difficulties that would cause their work to be harder uh, than it already is. And Lord, I pray for a good, strong mind as Roger works on translation work, as he interacts with other people. Lord, I pray that you would help him in this work. Give him strength and endurance. Help him to see the goodness of the gospel and what he is doing. And Lord, I pray that he wouldn't just see it as an exercise alone or a task, but that as he he reads the truths of your word, as he explains them and translates them into Spanish, Lord, I pray that they would touch his heart, that you would, by your spirit, give him moments where he sees his own need of you and that he rejoices because you have called him into your family. Lord, I do also pray for Devi as he goes each Sunday. Lord, I pray for wisdom and for the right words and the economy of words for Devi as he speaks with these folks in the jail. Lord, I pray that you would give him confidence and boldness, help him to know when to speak, 
Help him to know when to listen. And most of all, Lord, I pray that he would be sharing the gospel as he shares his own life with these men and as he sees them Sunday in and Sunday out, some Sundays not knowing who will come and if anyone will come. Lord, I pray that you would give him strength and endurance to run this race. And I thank you, Lord, for his heart for these men, that he does go each week, that he sees them. And Lord, I pray that you would build up his heart in the gospel as he shares the words of life with these men, that you would touch his heart, that he would never get over talking about the beauty of his Savior, that he would never get over the blood of Jesus covering his sins and making him your son. Lord, I do also lift up and pray for our Vacation Bible School this week. I praise you, Lord, for the many hands that have already worked for this week to be a successful week, that the programs that are done would be Christ-honoring and God-exalting. And Lord, I pray for our little ones as they come and others who might be coming to VBS this week. Lord, I pray that in all the preparations that we would be excited to see that this is why we did all the work. I pray that you would bless those who are coming, that they would hear about the Lord Jesus, whether it's the the first time or a number of times they've heard about you. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on our children, that they would believe, that they would cling to the promises that you have made, that they would see that this Jesus who came and died for the sins of his people, that he came and died for me, that I can believe in him by faith and his precious blood will cover my sins. Lord, I pray that this would be a glorious week I pray for the safety of all of our children, for our volunteers, for everyone who is working here this week. I pray that it would be a glorious time together as we learn about you and your power over all of creation and even over us. And Lord, I pray for us as a church family in this particular time, in this summer season, that you would be working in each of our hearts, in our families. Lord, there are many things that are our needs and concerns that we have, things that we brought in this room together today. Though we may smile and put on our best face, there are things that that are weighing on us and crush us down and crunch us and cause our faith to seem very frail. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would minister to us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us to love one another as your people, the church. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible this morning to the Old Testament book of Joshua, chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Our scripture reading this morning is Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. This is the word of the Lord. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, A man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Today's sermon is entitled, Leadership in Jesus' Church. 
coinciding with opening officer nominations three weeks ago, uh, we discussed it as elders and decided that it would be good to remind ourselves as elders and deacons in the church of the Lord Jesus, but also to draw attention for us as a church family to what it means to be leaders in Jesus' church. So this is a very intentional interruption, if you will, in our summer series, Being Still in the Busy. We will continue that next week. A bit of background to this passage I think is very helpful. It would be easy to miss a few things about what's going on here and this encounter that Joshua had with the commander of the Lord's army. God, you might remember, has appointed Joshua to be the leader of his people, to lead them across the Jordan into the promised land after Moses had died. Israel actually did, as a nation, cross the Jordan on dry ground, just as they had crossed the Red Sea across dry ground a generation ago. And they set up these memorial stones, and God told the people that these memorial stones were to be set up to be a reminder that when their children asked them, why are these stones here, that you are to tell your children, it's your responsibility, I'm commanding you to tell your children all the wonders that God did, that it was He who brought you across this Jordan on dry ground. He made the water stand up and the ground be dry, and you came here into this promised land that He swore to give to the generations before you, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. It says also in these chapters in Joshua that there was a covenant renewal ceremony that took place. It says that a whole generation of men died in the wilderness because of a lack of faith and hope in the Lord. A whole generation of men died. And so there was a generation of young men and men who were about to go into this promised land and take it with Joshua as their leader. But it says that they were not circumcised. They had not received the covenant sign upon their bodies. So one thing that took place before they went was they had a covenant renewal. And the the men were circumcised before they went into the land. It says also that they celebrated the Passover together. And that one of the most important things that took place after that was that the manna God had provided day after day, every day, all those years, it ceased after they partook of the produce of the land. Something they'd had every day was no longer part of their existence Now they were living in total dependence on the Lord in the land that God was giving them. And on the eve of the Jericho march, they're about to go into the the land of Jericho and take it. And it's a very familiar story. I'm sure many of you remember it. But on the eve of that Jericho march, here's Joshua near the land. And he sees someone standing there, a soldier standing there with his sword drawn in his hand. And he's wondering, hmm, is this a spy? Is this someone from the land who's come to see what we're doing, to see our formations? Is this maybe somebody I could recruit? Dr. Harry Reader, the late Dr. Harry Reader said that maybe Joshua was out hoping he might fill a post. And so here's this man, I'm going to find out, are you for us or for our adversaries? So that he could enlist him into the ranks and be ready for the battle that would be coming. And go and help God's people claim the land that God promised to give them. He meets the commander of the army of the Lord. You know, it would be very easy, thinking about this book, it's actually named Joshua after all, it would be very easy to think that this entire story, from chapter to chapter, is about Joshua. 
coming into this new role, growing to be a leader of God's people, leading them to conquer the land, conquer the people who were there. But we see very quickly here in this chapter that the spotlight is not actually on Joshua at all. Joshua meets the commander of the army of the Lord, standing there, getting ready to go into Jericho. And it doesn't tell us his name because it doesn't have to. This is a pre-incarnate theophany, an Old Testament theophany. It is the pre-incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. It's not Joshua who's leading the people. In fact, Moses told Joshua before he died, if you still have your Bible open, go over to Deuteronomy chapter 31. It says that Moses had called Joshua over to him. Moses is about to die. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. Moses is about to die and he knows that Joshua will be the leader to follow him. And Moses called Joshua and said to him, this is Deuteronomy 31 verse 7, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with the people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. So then you might ask, if the Lord is the one who goes before his people, if he's the one with a sword drawn in his hand, if he's the one that protects and provides and defends, if he's the one that subdues, then why do we even have leaders in the church? If Jesus is king of the church, why do we need fallen, sinful human beings, men, to lead in the church? Because Jesus delights in doing it. That's the reason. It's of his own good pleasure. He didn't have to do it this way. No one compelled him. No one twisted his arm. It is Jesus' delight to appoint men to be gifts to his people, the church. That's the reason. There's no other reason. He doesn't need our achievements. He doesn't need our strengths. He doesn't need our abilities or wisdom. He doesn't need anything from us, in fact. It is simply his delight to give leaders as gifts to his people. It's critical, I think, that we get this. Otherwise, we read stories in the Bible and we see these people who are what seems to be the perfect example of what someone is who's a leader. I could look up to that person. I could strap my sword on and take my shield and follow that person into battle. But any person that you might hold up in the Bible is a sinful person except for the Lord Jesus. He's the only one. So it's critical that we get this, even as we think about leadership in the church. Jesus is at the center of the church. He's the foundation. He's the king. He's the only lawgiver in Zion. Our book of church order begins in its preface. The leaders that he appoints are according to his perfect will for his own good pleasure and his own reasons, which he doesn't have to tell us, for his people's good and to increase their joy in him. As you think about those names on the back of your bulletin, it lists elders and deacons. It tells you who the men are who serve in this church. You should be praying for those on that list, but you should also be thinking, as you look at those names, these men were chosen by God as a gift to me to encourage my heart, to build up the church, to help lead us as we seek to honor the Lord, to worship and to obey Him to hold forth the gospel, to shepherd my family, to shepherd me. You should be thinking that way as you think about the leaders in God's church. 
He does it for His glory and for your own spiritual good. In the book of John, John was asked about leadership. He was asked about his purpose in the world. And he says in John chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John is saying, I heard the voice of the bridegroom. I am his friend and I rejoice. He must increase, but I must decrease. That should be the heart and the heartbeat of each leader in this church. It should be what defines your heart about leadership, about meetings, about making decisions. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. Not simply in the people's eyes, but in my own My own importance, my own sense of I have to do this, this is my responsibility, or I have authority, or I make decisions. I think this is critical that we get this. Jesus is on the throne of his church. He is in charge. He is at work. He is doing things for his glory and for your good. This morning I want to look at this passage and consider three things. Number one, who are the leaders in the church? Number two, what do we learn from this Joshua story in chapter 5? And lastly, to what end do leaders serve in the church? So number one, who are the leaders in the church? In the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, we are Presbyterian by conviction, by governance, and in practice. We believe in representative leadership. We see men who have gifts and skills according to the qualifications in Scripture, We see that God has called them and our congregations elect them. We are representative in our leadership. We are elder-led in our church. We believe that there are two offices, according to God's word, elders and deacons. Both are God-ordained roles. According to the biblical standard, these offices are for men only. Men whom God has created and called and filled with his spirit to serve in the church. Elders are responsible for the entire ministry of the church. They're to shepherd God's people by teaching and applying God's word, by visiting with God's people in their homes, praying with them, praying for them. They're responsible for discipline in the church. They're responsible to rule and to make decisions. And our book of church order is very careful, and I think it appropriate to mention it as we consider elders in the church. It is the elders' responsibility to protect the children of the church, God's covenant children. It's our responsibility. What a a weighty job that is. And the Bible says that we will give an answer for how we do all of these things. The other office that we believe in that is a biblical God-ordained role is the office of deacon. They're responsible for ministries of mercy in the church. They're to encourage the grace of liberality. What that means in our And our polity is that they're responsible to help God's people learn all the ways that they may share the gifts that God has given them. And it might be money, but it may also be skills and talent and time. That they're to help God's people as they learn how it is they function in the church. They're also responsible for the buildings and the grounds. And they're also responsible for the finances. Both of these are spiritual offices held by spirit-led men in the church who aspire 
to the qualities held forth in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. They are to do these offices by relying upon the grace of God. They're not to do it in their own strength. They're certainly not to do it in their own wisdom or in the flesh. They are to follow the Lord and ask for his leading and humbly wait for him to respond. Notice in these passages of scripture, and I encourage you to read them. Notice that the minimum qualifications are the same for these two offices. They are different only in their function and their roles of responsibility and in teaching for elders. They're to be apt to teach. But the character qualities, the Christian life, the requirement to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus, following him, not simply a paper Christian, one who has their name on a church roll book, but they're to be a follower of Jesus. They're to be responsible, leading in their homes, praying with and for their wives and for their children. They're to be examples in the church, not of perfect people. We don't put up pictures of our officers and say, this is who you aspire to. These are are people who lead in the church. And yes, you absolutely should look up to them. You should pray for them, that the Lord would protect them. But you should also see them as people who look to the Lord Jesus for grace and strength, as you do as well. We go through a process here in the PCA. Here at Lebanon, we follow this process each year. We're in a time now of nominations where the congregation, each of our members, is to submit names to uh, one of our elders and say, I'm nominating so-and-so for the office of elder or the office of deacon. After the nomination time is over, we go through a period of training and preparation. And we ask the men with a view in that training, are you prepared to assent to these vows? Now, these are different vows than our membership vows. Each of you took them if you are a member here at Lebanon. But these are additional vows taken before the Lord Jesus. They are sacred, solemn promises in the presence of God with his people that I promise to serve this church I promise to give my life for the spiritual good of God's people, elders and deacons alike, that they take the responsibility to follow the Lord's leading, to submit to their brethren in the Lord, and to love God's people. That's the responsibility. That's what we're asking them. Then these men, after a period of training and examination, they're examined by our elders, our current session. They sit in the room. They're asked questions. We are to inquire of their Christian character, their walk with the Lord, their fitness for the office, anything in their life that might detract from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or his good name or the name of this church. Then we have a congregational meeting. The elders call a meeting and we vote. You vote on these men for the office of ruling elder and deacon. And Lord willing, if they are elected, we have an ordination service where they they have hands laid upon them, they are set apart for this ministry to serve you. There is a participation in it by our church family. This is not a short process. It It is long, it's rigorous, it takes time. So how are they selected? How are officers in the church selected? In our 2022 officer exam, I gave our our candidates for office last year a written exam, and I asked them. Does the congregation elect elders and deacons? Or does the congregation recognize those whom God has called to serve as elders and deacons and then elect them? And we had a good discussion about that. Absolutely, it is God's people who are electing. It's God's people who are nominating. 
But it is absolutely critical that we understand that it is God who selects the leaders in his church. It is his business and not ours. We pray that the Lord will guide us, that he will give us wisdom and strength, that those we nominate are those whom the Lord has called. That's why we have a longer process. We don't just sit a man in an office and see how he does. We, we train them, we prepare them, we examine them, we exhort them, we encourage them, we stand alongside them. And it's important because this cuts both ways in the church. It's important to remember that it is God's people who are recognizing those whom God has called. Number one, I think it cuts both ways because God's people are not an officer's political constituents. They aren't people that you're, you're going and talking to and trying to get on your side in a particular issue. But it cuts both ways because leaders are not your personal lobbyists either. They are officers who have taken vows to the Lord Jesus Christ in your presence to serve in the church. It is a solemn thing and it is sacred and it is absolutely very serious. So that's number one. Who are the leaders in the church? Number two, what do we learn from this Joshua story? I think there are many things. I'm just going to point out three of them. Number one, going back to Joshua chapter five, look at verses 14 and 15 again. When Joshua encounters a pre-incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, what does he do after he gets an answer to his question? Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he says, no, that's a complete sentence. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord and I am here now. What was he hearing? He was hearing the same name that Moses was told at the burning bush when he asked, who should I tell them sent me? And God said, I am. Jesus is saying, I am here. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Don't you forget it, Joshua. Don't you forget it. I appointed you. I put you in this position to lead these people across this Jordan and take possession of this land. But don't you forget it. I'm the one who fights for my people. I am the captain. I am the commander, the leader. I am the servant. He is the lamb who would be slain. He loves his people. So number one, a leader, absolutely. As you see what he did here, you see what Joshua did. It says that he fell with his face into the dirt. A leader is number one, a worshiper. I think that's encouraging, but it's also really critical to hear for those of us who are leaders now, or for those of you who are aspiring to the office of ruling elder or deacon, it's a question. Are you a worshiper? Is that your primary function before the Lord? That I worship Him. I belong to Him and He is mine. I cherish the Lord Jesus and His precious blood. Opening His Word every day and praying with Him is important to me, not so that I fit apart, but because I have life in Him and my life is hidden in Christ. Number two, as you see in verse 14, a leader absolutely must be humble and teachable. You can imagine Joshua walking up and seeing this man who had his sword pulled. There weren't, at least that Joshua could tell, he wasn't walking up with his sword pulled. He didn't have his shield in hand. And so he asked him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And right away, after he hits the ground... Worshipping before this commander of the armies of the Lord. He said, what would you have me do? He is humble and teachable. Seeing now who you are, knowing who you are, what would you have me do? 
He's willing to submit. He's willing to be told what to do, to hear instruction. This is a man who's been ordained to serve over the entire nation of Israel. Humanly speaking, he is the most powerful person in the nation of Israel at the time. The people are to follow him and listen and take his commands. They are to do his bidding. And yet here he is on his face before the Son of God. Tell me what to do. I'll do it. You are my captain. And I will follow. Do you have that heart as a leader? Are you willing to take direction? Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to do what the Lord calls you to do? Do you have a humble and teachable spirit? Number three. A leader absolutely must be obedient to the Lord. To the things that the Lord has revealed in His Word, the commands that He's given. It says at the end of verse 15, when the Lord told Joshua what to do, He said, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And that little sentence afterward, and Joshua did so. He obeyed. He didn't smirk. He didn't didn't shrug His shoulders. He did exactly what He was told. And that that phrase that the commander of the army of the Lord told Joshua to do, it's a reminder for us. It points back to what God told Moses. Take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy. Do you think that way about the office of ruling elder or deacon for those of you who are leaders in the church? Do you believe that even this place, Lebanon, and in the homes of God's people, that these places are holy ground because the Lord is there? These are God's people. Or is this a place for you to to rule and to make decisions and to show your authority and your power, your wisdom and your acumen, your achievements? Or is this holy ground because the Lord is here and it is His church? What do we learn from this Joshua story? I think this is one of the most significant things about the story and it stands out to me in, in big bold letters as I read it that wisdom and perspective are gifts from God. They're not skills for a leader to flaunt and say, look at me, to, to speak up in a meeting or, or in a group of people and say, well, here's, here's my experience, here's, here's my skill, here's what I have to think. Notice Joshua came in not knowing who this was. And isn't that true for all of us, no matter what situation we walk into, without a revelation from the Lord, we don't understand Without wisdom and perspective from Him, we don't even understand the reality that we live in. We don't even understand ourselves. John Piper, in a 2021 commencement address, said that there are six habits and mindsets of a leader of God's people that they must cultivate. And one of them is accurate understanding. Accurate understanding of the way that we're to live in this world and understand the situations that we're in. He said, without accurate understanding, you as a leader will always miss the point. And how sad and tragic that would be if that were the case in the Lord's church. That the leaders would always miss the point. Always not understand what's going on. Not be able to connect the dots and see how A and B go together. Always missing it. Never able to put the pieces together. Apart from God's Spirit moving in your leaders, we don't have the ability to do it. Pray for your leaders that we would have wisdom and humility, that we would be teachable, that we would be obedient to God's Word, that we would do what He says, not because you like it or it's popular, but because He commands it. 
And there is no question to it. Lastly, what do we learn from this Joshua story? We learn that we are stewards, each of us, in our own way as leaders in the church. That in this particular time that we are living right now, in 2023, if you are a leader, you are serving in this particular time because God chose it before the foundation of the world. He knew that you would be here. He knew that you would live now, that you would be at Lebanon. And he chose in this particular time for you to serve. But we are stewards. He didn't choose you to be a little king. He chose you to serve his people. You always have to remember. You always have to keep your head down a bit and your eyes down a bit. I haven't arrived. I'm not here for people to exalt me, to praise me. I am here because the Lord has chosen in his wisdom to do it. This office that I'm serving in is about him. It's not about me. Leaders have to remember that because if you don't, you will be deceived and miss the entire point of why God has called you to serve in his church. So lastly, one last question. To what end do leaders serve in the church? It's probably very obvious But I want to state the obvious in just a few points. To what end do leaders serve in the church? Why are your leaders here? Why are they willing to take the vows to be an elder or a deacon here? They're not doing it for a title. They're not doing it to make a name for themselves or for the the wonderful compliments they get for a job well done. Or to, to somehow get in the office and meet some personal need they have to to fix something in their character or who they are to make them feel better about themselves or to fill their time. To what end do leaders serve? They serve for the good of the church, God's people. They serve because there is something burning inside of them, born of God. It's a sincere love for God's people. When you think about the vows that you've taken men, or for those of you who may be nominated this year to serve as an officer in the church, you should begin by asking yourself, am I willing to assent to these vows or have I assented to these vows because I love the church? I love God's people. I love them and want to serve them. I want to shepherd them. I want to help them see the Lord Jesus in in what I do. It's for the good of the church. Leaders serve God's people. That's what you do. We're to be the chief servants here as unto the Lord. Not to a person, not with someone in mind, but as unto the Lord for the encouragement and the growth and grace of God's people. Everything that's done here, everyone who who works, everyone who serves, it's to be for that reason. And so that's why there's this exhortation in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17. The writer says to the people, obey those who rule over you. Obey your elders and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. This particular verse in Hebrews chapter 13 is about elders. It's about those who rule in the church. But notice it doesn't actually only talk about ruling, even though elders do rule in the church under the authority of the Lord Jesus. It says they watch out for your souls. That's the work of an elder. That's what an elder is supposed to do. Am I busy with meetings and and tasks and to-do lists and agendas? Or am I busy watching over the souls of God's people? 
That's what I'm supposed to be doing. Shepherding. It doesn't say he's to watch over your behavior. That the only thing he's looking for is that you use the right language or that you don't use the wrong language. An elder is to watch over your soul. He's not to watch over your feelings. Make sure you feel good about everything that's said and done. And he's not there to serve only your felt needs. And I know those things are hard to hear and maybe a bit abrasive. But that's true. He's to give an answer for how your soul was shepherded. Not how you felt as he, as he led in the church. Lastly, to what end do elders serve? They serve for the glory of God in all of his radiant beauty because we have been enraptured with it. Men, elders and deacons, are you enraptured with the beauty of our Savior? And is that the engine, is that the energy from which you serve in the church? The point of being a leader is not to learn how to get things done, to achieve my personal agenda of what I think Lebanon should look like, or what I think Lebanon should be involved in, or to gain a sense of accomplishment and say, look what I did. Look how God has used me. Look at the things I've done where it's only pointing to us. The point of being a leader is to shepherd God's people every chance we get, no matter what the task is, to point them to Jesus. To see his perfect sacrifice for sinners, his loving heart for his broken people, that they might fall at his feet in faith and repentance. That's why you serve men. That's why God has called you to do this work. To help God's people see him actively working in their daily lives every day. To behold that his grace is sufficient in all of the darkest trials that they walk through. And each of us do, and some of us for weeks and weeks on end. And we need to hear hope that God is with us, that he provides. That God's people grow in grace and devote their entire existence to loving and serving him for all eternity. That's why you serve. That's why Jesus appoints stewards as elders and deacons in his church. And I want to close by saying to our elders and deacons, whether you're currently serving or not, thank you for the many ways that you serve this body. Things that are seen and things that are unseen. Things that no one would know you do. Thank you for your sacrifices, for your family. Thank you to your wives, to the wives of our leaders, and to family who have family who, a dad who comes late or a husband who comes late to a meal or misses an important occasion because he's doing something to take care of a matter with church or a church family. Thank you for your sacrifices and for your service. And to our young people, to our young people sitting in here today, you are our next generation. You are the leaders who will stand up in this church one day. Your leaders, your elders, your deacons are praying for you, our children. That God will keep you on the path that you are on. That you will stand and have courage and walk in faith. I pray for you. That you love the Lord. That you elect men who will serve the Lord. Who will rule according to God's word. And I pray for you that you love Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your work in your church. It is easy, Lord, to be discouraged when we set our minds to do a task, to think we can get it done, and then immediately we find out we don't have the resources or the skill or the experience to carry it through. But when we look at your work in the church, you are working. 
You're working among your people. You pour out your spirit. You give us your word. You fill men with the energy and the strength to do the tasks that you've given. Lord, I pray that you would encourage our current leaders and be raising up those in your church who will serve in this next generation. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't think so quickly and move away so quickly from this sacred task that you have given. And Lord, I pray that you would help us even in this hour of worship to give thanks to you for the many ways that many men throughout generations here at Lebanon have served you and the ways we have been influenced because of your work through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to worship and sing together, standing number 575, Soldiers of Christ, Arise.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that it is to worship you today, to be together as your people. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and our offerings, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ might be spread throughout this state and this country and throughout the world. We pray, Lord, that you would give us delight and joy, even in obedience to your commands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. benediction of our Lord from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Amen. Amen.